So we're beginning a study through the book of Acts today. Luke is the author of this book. He wrote the book between 60 AD and 70 AD. Uh, we know that it was before 70 AD because the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple was in 70 AD. There's no mention of that in the book of Acts, uh, which he would have uh, detailed. Uh, he's a doctor. So because he was a doctor, he was really good at taking notes. Back then, um, the, all their databases were broken. Can you imagine what it was like carrying around, you know, like a medical encyclopedia? No such thing. They were still creating it. And, and, and so he didn't have a backpack with all his scrolls and parchments and everything. So they really had to study and take detailed notes and keep them small. So that, but they didn't have the illnesses we had today. You know, that's how come when someone was really sick back then, um, they just cast the demon out of them, right? Today, they give you medicine, lots of it. <clears throat> and, and so we don't see people having demons cast out of them, uh, although we should, um, because, you know, the demons didn't say, ah, let's go on vacation, we're going to stop you know, getting into it. No, they're still active in the world today. And, you know, we look at the news and we say, what would cause a person to do the things that we're watching in the news? Uh, why are we so surprised? You know, when you, you see someone that was possessed with a thousand demons, you know, why do we get surprised when we see someone acting irrationally in our society today? Uh, we, we shouldn't, especially as Christians. We shouldn't be surprised because it's just the spiritual world, um, you know, still doing what the spiritual world has done since there was a spiritual world since there was humans to be occupied. And we um, see it happening all around us. Luke was a physician. There were still illnesses, you know, people still broke bones and stuff like that. And Luke was a physician and he took care uh, of the needs of whoever uh, was ill. But back then in those days, the only people that could afford Physicians were wealthy people. You know, if you weren't very wealthy, uh, you know, you would go to someone that hopefully gave good advice, like mom. Mom always knew what to do, right? And, and she would, you know, wrap you up and so on. I remember when my son broke his wrist, um, you know, out at the skate park and everything came home and, and mom said, shake it off. You know, and, um, and it wasn't until the next day when it was swollen up and everything, oh, okay, maybe we'll bring you, what was it, a week later? Uh, no, I'm kidding. But, you know, uh, we were used to him having injuries and, you know, uh, so on and so forth. But, um, you know, when we um, look at physicians, we look at people that have all this knowledge and all this wisdom and, and we go to them and... 
we hope that they give us good advice. And Luke was one that was trained up. Uh, we, we don't have uh, his history of where he got that training from, but he's writing a letter uh, to someone that uh, probably or possibly sent him to learn everything that he needed to know to be a doctor so that he could take care of him. He was a wealthy man. Theophilus was uh, the, the man that Luke is writing this letter to. And so we'll catch up with that in a minute. But because of the fact that he's a doctor, he has a very detailed way of recording things. That's uh, a good doctor records things in detail. So when you go back, uh, they have the details. Okay, well, this is what was taking place, you know, and we tried these things. Now let's try something different. If they don't take copious notes, then you go back and they say, yeah, tell, tell me what was going on again. You know, and, and I'm very happy that um, I go to a, a, a primary care physician that he actually has all my history, all my notes, and they know what's going on. So when I go in, it's like, well, how's this going and how's that going? And he, he you know, catches me up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, uh, I don't have a problem with that anymore. You know, it's a new week. I have a new problem. And, uh, and I know some of you know what I'm talking about. You know, it's like sometimes we're so focused on one thing and then the new thing comes. And, and it's like, where did this thing come? And you forget about the last thing. That was nothing compared to what I'm going through today. So Luke, he kept good notes. And we can tell that by his style of writing. He wrote Luke, the, the gospel of Luke. And now he wrote Acts. Luke is the only Gentile in the New Testament that wrote letters in the New Testament. He, he was a Gentile. And so he wasn't there for all of the details that um, he recorded. He interviewed others. So he had uh, um, a busy time, I'm sure, he was used to asking people questions and then recording the answers about their illnesses and stuff. So he did the same thing in recording the information that took place by all of the eyewitnesses that were there. Take, uh, you know, uh, actually had seen the events take place. So we're beginning our study actually in Luke chapter 24, if you want to turn there where Luke um, wrote and he um, was, as he was writing the gospel, this is after Jesus' resurrection, and he goes and he's walking with uh, the couple that are walking to Emmaus, and he goes and he talks with them, and, and he opens up their eyes to the gospel, to the, to the truth of, of the Old Testament, how it pointed to him. And then he kind of disappears, and they go running back to the upper room with the other disciples. And then when they're in the upper room, Jesus appears to all of them and, and then shows that he is alive, that uh, he is back on earth. And he wanted to show that he was human, that he was still in human form. Uh, so in um, Luke chapter 24... And it says in, uh, let, me, let me go back here a little bit. Uh, okay, and then in verse 
35, it said, and they told about the things that have happened on the road, these two from Emmaus, and, uh, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And then in verse 36, it says, now as they said these things, Jesus stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you. Uh, but they were terrified and frightened. And suppose they had seen a spirit. They, they think they're seeing a ghost at this point, and it's Jesus standing there. Why were they freaked out? The doors were locked. The windows were, they weren't, there was no way for Jesus just to get into the room, but there he was. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And so I don't even believe, I don't think they went and started touching him. I, I think they're all, all right, we'll take your word for it. You know, but he's showing them, he's proving to them that it was him. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But when they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb and he took it and ate it in their presence. And so this was the evidence that he was, because all Jews at that time, believed that a spirit can't eat food. So this was part of their belief system. It wasn't something that was proven. God didn't say, you know, they can't eat. He said, as a matter of fact, when Abraham was at his tent and he had the visitors that came to him, the angels that told him that uh, they were going to destroy uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, remember? And they, they ate. He brought them food and they ate. So it appears that spirits can eat, but the Jews weren't uh, quite uh, familiar with that or they didn't remember. Verse 44, and then he said to them, these are the words, words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written... And the law of Moses and prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And so he said, look, this is what was written. All you had to do was pay attention and believe. And you would have realized that these things were written. And I taught you these things before. Now I know we have learned things over and over. We've heard things. I'm sure most of you have heard most of the Bible, if not all of it, most of the New Testament, if not all of it, have taught. You've heard it taught before. But do you remember every single thing? And it's not just so much remembering. This is why we study the Bible over and over again. Because we read something and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit reveals something new to us. It's not that it contradicts what we heard before. It's in addition to what we have already learned. It gives us a complete view. It gives us discernment. It gives us better understanding of what the Bible teaches. If we get to the point where we think, I've read it so many times now, I know it all, I don't need to know anymore, you can't tell me anything new, um, check yourself. Because there's something new every day in the Word of God. 
I, you know, I, I spend my time in devotion, and I, I accidentally read the same portion of scripture that I read the day before. And I went and I, you know, because usually I'm writing notes next to it and everything. And this one section, I didn't write any notes next to it. I just read it through and I was dwelling on it. I was praying about it. And then I read it again the next day. I thought, oh, I didn't put any notes. So obviously I have to reread this, you know. And I reread it and it told me something different. God put something different on my heart from the day before. And I was like, wow, how did he do that? How did, and that's how the Holy Spirit works in us. You know, he reveals things, oh, well, Jesus gets into that. He says, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. He opened their understanding. I believe today he still opens our understanding. Not that our understanding is completely shut down and we don't understand anything, but when the Holy Spirit wants to reveal something to us and it's time for us to receive it, our understanding is opened. So I believe that that is still an ongoing process. I believe every believer, every Christian that has a relationship with Jesus Christ when they dedicate themselves to the word, to hearing from God, he will speak to them. Now, you know what? If you have children, you know sometimes your children come to you and they want answers and you don't have answers or you don't want to give them the answer. It isn't time for those answers. So you tell them something else, you know, or you just give them an overview and you don't really get into the details. But then there's a certain time when an answer is appropriate, when it's time for them to understand the details. And then you share it with them and you give them the details. And they're like, why didn't you ever tell me this before? I'll tell you why you weren't ready for it. Or you wouldn't have received it. And, and so... That's the way God is with us too. Sometimes we have an attitude in our hearts. Frustration maybe with someone that is supposed to be our friend or maybe someone that's within the church that we're having a conflict with, we're having friction with, and we have a hardness over our heart because of that. I know that's never happened to any of you, but it's happened to me, you know, and, and pastors aren't supposed to admit something like that, you know, so, hey, let's edit this so we don't have this online. This is reality. We're all human. We all get frustrated. Uh, we all get a little bitter at times about things. That's what the part about maturing in Christ is about learning how to give that up. How to let God take that from us. Sometimes we don't want to let God take it. We just want to grab hold of that. We want to hang on to that. But that's why he is using his word to minister to us, to open us up, and to heal the areas that need to be healed in our lives. And he gives us understanding of the scriptures. 
Then he said to them, this is written, uh, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And the third day that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. So we, they were witnesses of what Jesus did. We are witnesses of the work of the Holy Spirit in our world today. We are witnesses. If we're paying attention, if our eyes are closed, we're not witnesses. If we don't share what we see, we're not witnesses. A witness is someone that goes and testifies, right? A witness is someone that goes to court and testifies in court and says, okay, this is what I saw. I saw this person do that. Oh, that's a witness. And that is either a fact or it's a lie. So you could be a false witness or you can be a true witness. We need to be true witnesses. We don't have to elaborate on the work of the Spirit in our lives if it really wasn't the Holy Spirit in our lives. Sometimes people need, you know, feel the need to exaggerate what God is doing. We don't need to exaggerate what God is doing. If, if you read the Bible and see what's going on in the world, no exaggeration needed, Right? You look at what's going on in the news and in the world, all this political garbage going on, all of the wars and rumors of wars, looking at all of the different events that are taking place in the world. Earthquakes, tornadoes, fires, all of this stuff happening in the world today. And is there any reason to worry? Sure, there's plenty of reason to worry. But we're told not to. Just like Jesus shows up in that room where all the disciples are, and he said, hey, peace be with you. You know, don't worry. It's me. Look, here, here are the... And they're still worried. He had to eat food. He had to eat fish to prove that he... See, I, you're not giving me fish. To, if it's shrimp, okay. But you know what? I'm not eating fish to prove who I am. Give me a ribeye, I'll, I'll eat it all day long, and I'll prove who I am. I mean, but Jesus had to show them who he was because they were unsure at that point. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And so here he is, he's now sending them to Jerusalem. So he is getting ready to ascend. He's going to be ascending soon. And he's saying, go to Jerusalem, hang out, and wait for the promise of the Father. That's the Holy Spirit. We still have that promise. Every believer has the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now here, let me blow your mind. Every unbeliever has the promise of the Holy Spirit too. You know, you don't come into a relationship 
with God without the Holy Spirit drawing you in. You can't do it on your own. If we could do it on our own, then we would be prideful about it. Oh yeah, I found the Lord. No, he found you. You were hiding behind the rock, you know, naked, beaten, and he found you. And he pulled you out and he brought you into the relationship. And as soon as we start taking credit for the relationship, we become like Lucifer, full of pride and destined for a fall. So Jesus, then after he was at that place, in that upper, he breathed on them. Remember what he said? He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them. That wasn't the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That wasn't the filling of the Holy Spirit to the point where now they can go out and that didn't happen for another 50 days or longer than that actually from this point. But when he did, when the Holy Spirit came upon them in that powerful way, it was evident to everyone. We have the same Holy Spirit today. And that doesn't mean we're all supposed to be speaking in tongues, running around out in the street and people hearing in their own language and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, no, that's not what the filling of the Holy Spirit means. It means that we should be living in such a way that people can see the difference between us and the world. We're, we're separated from the world, separated to God, sanctified so that we can live differently and we can show the world who we are. We're believers, we're, we trust in. Now, Acts 1.1, as we start this, realize that Acts hasn't ended yet. Luke just stopped recording it. But we're still living the book of Acts today. Acts 1.1 starts with the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So this Theophilus, the lover of God, that's what Theophilus means, lover of God. And so most commentators believe this was a person he was writing to with the name Theophilus. Some also believe that he was also writing to all lovers of God. And we can claim that for ourselves. We can say, I am a lover of God. And so because I'm a lover of God, I can receive what he wrote here. It applies to me just as much as it applies to Theo. So here is Theophilus. He probably, now you remember um, that Luke spent a lot of time with Paul. And he recorded a lot of Paul's events and stuff like that. Well, when we see Luke with Paul, we can kind of get the idea that, well, he started out with Theophilus, and maybe Theophilus got saved because of Paul and because of the ministry of Paul. 
And so because Theophilus got saved, and now as a believer, he said, Luke, you go with Paul. He needs you. Remember, Paul was kind of sickly. He had a few issues going on. And so he probably sent Luke and said, go, go with Paul. Because Paul didn't have a bunch of money to buy Luke, you know, as a slave to follow him around. But it's probably Theophilus that sent him at this point. So Luke mentions that um, Jesus presented himself alive to the apostles after his death on the cross. And Jesus spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Why should we believe Luke? That's a question that each one of us should ask. Why? Why should we believe Luke? Do you believe Mozart when you hear music from Mozart? Do you believe there was a Mozart? Do you believe in anyone from the past that is not? George Washington. Do you believe in George Washington? Not believe and agree with everything George Washington ever said, did, or whatever, but just believe there was a George Washington. You know, do you, do you believe? I hope so. We have enough evidence of George Washington. We have evidence of Mozart. We can listen to the music and say, oh, that came from him. Why would someone, you know, claim to, li- you know, listen to music from Mozart and, uh, and make up someone? No, they're going to tell the truth. And so the evidence for George Washington is the fact that, well, he was a president and that he wrote a bunch of documents. How many? Well, between what he wrote and what others wrote to him, 65,000 are in the Library of Congress. So it gives a lot of evidence for the fact that he was a real human and that he said and did a lot of what... And we don't doubt George Washington, do we? Josephus wrote about Jesus. Now, Josephus was not a Christian. He was a historian. I don't know if he became a Christian, a believer. I'm sure with everything he wrote, he probably did. I would hope so. You know, after seeing and hearing and and being a witness of everything that he witnessed, I, I would hope so. But we have writings of Josephus. There are many people that depart from the Bible to read Josephus' writing to say, oh, this is what happened because Josephus said it. But what? You know, I mean, really, you're going to take the word of Josephus over the word of the Holy Spirit. 66 books written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. Our Bible, our word of God, it's what we can trust because it's the eyewitness account of what God wants us to know. And so these authors were were writing based on what the Holy Spirit directed them to write. And we know that that's true because we read the word of God and it's so cohesive It fits so well together. But the story isn't exactly the same. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if they all said the exact same thing to prove that it it was all the same, then I would then question what was being said. You ever watch the news and the news reports something that's happening and they're all using the exact same words when they're reporting what took place? 
and, and, they, and it, this happens all the time. Oh, because of this. And, and then the other news channel, oh, same words. And then the same word. And where are they getting these words from? You know, uh, but these guys reported as if there was an accident in the street and on four different corners, there were four people standing watching the accident take place and they all gave their perspective of what took place on four different corners. They, they all said, this is what I saw. And the other ones, this is what I saw, you know? And that's what the gospels are. They're cohesive. They give us the history and they give us the information that we need to know to make a decision on our own. I believe in George Washington because there's enough evidence that George Washington lived. You know why I believe in Jesus Christ? Because he lives inside of me. And now I don't care what you say, you can't convince me otherwise. You see, when you have an experience and a relationship with Jesus Christ, no one can convince you. Right? Now, the enemy is trying to. He's always whispering in your ear. Oh, you're not good enough. Oh, you say stupid things. Yes, I do. I'm an Italian from Queens. I say stupid things. But you know what? I also know that the Holy Spirit gives me good things to say, wise things. How do I know? Because people come up to me and say, I got this out of what you taught. And I say, oh, that's wonderful. And I'm thinking to myself, I wasn't teaching that. How did they get that? It was the Holy Spirit. Because I was just teaching, you know, what the Lord put on my heart. But everyone hears the Holy Spirit speak to them personally. Isn't that cool? You get to hear. It's... it's a Bible study that I'm not giving. It's the one the Holy Spirit gives. So back in those days, they didn't have TV, they didn't have DVRs, they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have all of the means that we have today to store information. So how did they get all this information and how were they able to document things so clearly? The Holy Spirit. When God wanted them to write these books, these letters, these epistles. What he did was he gave them understanding and guidance. I know this for a fact. Now, it's not like some of these spiritual people, automatic writing. I just put my hand down and all of a sudden the, the page writes itself. Eh, garbage. Here's the truth. And if you hear about these things where people do that and stuff like that, and it sounds really spiritual, um, you know, demon. Okay, so um, the fact is that the Lord put something on my mind, and I think that's important. I need to write that down, and I write it down. And sometimes I go back and I read what I wrote years earlier, weeks earlier, whatever, and I read it, and it's like, oh, I remember what the Lord was speaking to me then, but it means something new to me today. And I'm, it's like, man, God, you're so good. You show me things that even I wrote. 
Sometimes he uses my wife to speak to me. You know, and, and I know that, you know, that's sometimes hard because it's someone so personal, so close to you. Are they doing, are they speaking to me because they're so close, they know me so well? Or is it the fact that the Holy Spirit is speaking, you know, through my wife, through my spouse, through my daughter, through my whatever? It is the Holy Spirit speaking to me. He used a donkey. So is God speaking to me through those things? We need to be open to the fact that he does. We don't have um, the scrolls maybe per se that they documented all of this, but we have manuscripts that date back so many thousands of years that we have an accurate account. Oh, the book of Isaiah that's in Israel. It's incredible. That was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they took that book written hundreds of years before Christ, and then took a Bible off the shelf and compared it, and it matched. There were just like a few word differences because we use different words than they did back then. And, but nothing that changed the context of what Isaiah wrote. That's powerful. That confirms what we should already know, that God is fully aware of everything we need to know and he shares it with us when we need to know it. Prophecy is the fact that God already knows, he shared it with us, and as things start unfolding before our very eyes, we can then confirm God knew. And look, he's showing it, he's proving it to us right before our very eyes. We're seeing that in our world today. The world doesn't understand the Bible because it's, they don't have the Holy Spirit to interpret for them. In 1 Corinthians 1.18 we read, For the message of the cross is foolishness to them that perish, but to us who believe it's the power of God. That's important. Because as believers, the word of God is powerful. For the world, it's foolishness. Oh, yeah, it's just some, somebody wrote that. You know, and, and, you know, who knows what they were talking about. They didn't even know. But we know because it's the power of God. Remember what Luke told us. He said in 2445 in Luke, he opened their understanding to comprehend the scriptures. Our understanding has been opened to comprehend the scriptures. So Luke in verse 3 points out that these are infallible proofs. That means they're perfect. They don't fail. The proofs that were written are the truth. They were true back then, and 2,000 years later, they're true now. They're, the truth never changes. The truth is the truth all the time. If you watch the news, the news changes what the truth is all the time. This is not going to happen. Okay, it happened, but what we meant was, you know, give me a break. We know the truth because the truth has a name. His name is Jesus. And he gave us this word so that we can know the truth and it can set us free. Without the truth, we would just be believing what any person out there says, well, that's what the world does, 
right? We've got all of these wise people, Confucius. When you have a name like Confucius, people are confused. You know, and you have all of these other religions and the religions are based on things that aren't stable. See, the truth is stable. But when things fall apart, And, oh, well, Jesus didn't come on the day that we said that he was going to come. Your religion just failed. They should then delete it from all history, right? But God doesn't do that. God says, if you're not smart enough to see that that religion just failed and you still want to believe in that, then, you know what, You're, you're free to do that. But here's the truth. I'm going to give you the truth so it will set you free. Just as we can believe in George Washington even though we haven't seen him, we can say the same for Jesus because there is so much documentation about the life of Jesus, but I don't care about the documents as much as I care about the impact he has made on the lives of people. Us. And so We are the walking epistle of who Jesus is. We are the testimony. We're the witnesses because he's impacted each one of our lives. And Luke continues documenting the ascension of Jesus in Acts 1-4. He says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Luke is now writing, this is what's happening. Jesus is going to go to heaven. But before he leaves, he tells the apostles to wait for the promise of the Father. And that's what they're going to do now. They're going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to wait. But they're like, hold on. Well, what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit going on? In verse 6, it says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They wanted to know, at the time that this baptism happens of the Holy Spirit, are you going to then restore you know, Israel, the kingdom of Israel? Remember, Israel was the center of the world during David's reign, during Solomon's reign. It was the center of the world. Israel was the, Israel, little tiny Israel, was the center of everything at that time. He says, will you restore the kingdom? Back then they're asking him. And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons with the what the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He said it's not for them to know the times and the seasons. Do you know why? Because they aren't going to see him return. For them, it's not time for them to know. But Jesus said in Matthew 24, when you see these things, well, what do you mean? For he was talking to someone else. He wasn't talking to them. When he said, when you see all these things happen, 
what was he talking about? Wars and rumors of wars, famines and pestilences and earthquakes in many places. When you see all of these things happen, well, that means we can see things happen. We can know the season that we live in. But them, they didn't need to know because they weren't living in that season. They weren't living in the season where Jesus was going to return. They thought they were. Why? Because remember what happened with Peter when, you know, Peter said, uh, Jesus said, told Peter, you know, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be, you know, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. They're going to, and Peter was like, hold on. What about him? And pointed to John. And Jesus like, don't think about that. That's not important. What if I decide to keep him alive until I come? That's not up to you. That's not anything to do with you, right? So they all thought that John was going to be alive until Jesus came back. And, and that was the confusion that they had back then. We are still confused today. So many churches are confused about what the Bible says. But if you read literally what the Bible says, we don't have to be confused. We can be clear about the plan of God, about the future, because it's detailed, it's given to us. We can have a hope that Jesus is going to come back. We can have a hope because every prophecy that he has fulfilled and God has fulfilled through others, he's going to continue to do. And so we fulfilled this many prophecies, but there are this many left. And we're in that season where we're seeing them start to happen right before our very eyes. Exciting times that we live in, isn't it? And so we are supposed to be looking up because our redemption draws nigh, not worried about these things taking place. But there's much to be done still because there are many out there that the Lord still wants to give an opportunity to come into a relationship with him. And we are the vessels he's going to use to accomplish that purpose. Amen?